also want to let you know that next Sunday afternoon, immediately following the second service, there's going to be a session, perhaps in the fireside room, maybe in the gym if, it's, if the group is too big, called Becoming Part of the Family. And if you're, you could be here for months and have not experienced that, or it could be that you just came today and you could experience it, either one of those. Uh, if you've been here a while and would like to become part of this church family on a regular basis, um, um, what we would call an official member, then we would love to have you come and become uh, part of that, that session next Sunday afternoon, and you'll have that opportunity. Um, also want to invite you, of course, to be a part of life groups. We have life groups going on all over the city, and if you want to be part of those, that would be fantastic. You can look at the back of the bulletin and find some details. I don't know how many of you got the email uh, this yesterday afternoon late uh, or maybe this morning about um, Joey, uh, Joanne and Larry's grandson. Um, if you talk to them, they, I'm sure they can give you more details. Uh, but the, the, uh, the disease that he has has been definitively diagnosed now, and it's not good. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not good at all. It doesn't mean that his life uh, is necessarily going to end anytime soon. Um, but the prognosis long term isn't very good. Uh, it could be uh, that he will live a normal life here uh, and, as, and live as long as anybody else. Uh, but there's also the possibility he won't. And so we need to be praying for Larry and Joanne for sure. Let's do that right now. Lord, uh, we do pray for Joey and for his healing. We pray, God, that you would heal him. Father, we pray that you'd be with Kristen and with Joe as they parent him. And, Father, we pray that you'd be with Larry and Joanne and other family members, other grandparents that might be in Joey's life. And, and Father, we pray that all of them would be comforted and blessed by your peace and by our understanding and knowledge of who you are. And so, Father, even in the midst of a difficult situation, we put him in your hands. We put this family in your hands, and we pray your richest blessings upon them. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, that would be great. I didn't get the page number from the Pew Bible, but maybe someone sitting next to you can help you find that if you need to find some help getting to Matthew 16. There are some questions that I'm, I think God is not overly concerned about. Maybe not as concerned about things as we are. Like, for example, did he or she, talking about people in our church, go to church every Sunday morning? Is that God's number one priority, his biggest concern? I'm thinking not. The reason I think that partially is because when you have snow Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and all the ice that we get on Sunday mornings here, I don't know what it is that God has in mind, but he definitely is not concerned about everybody making it safely to church on Sunday morning. That's clear. And so some people stay home and God obviously is quite aware of that. So I'm not thinking that God is putting this temptation out there. I know I'll give them four inches of snow and then if they don't go at the end of time, I'll send them all to hell. <laughs> I don't think that's his plan. So that can't be his number one goal. Did his children live perfectly sinless lives? I'm thinking that that's not 
the biggest concern from him for him either. When I look at you sitting here this morning, I know that that's not his biggest concern because I'm thinking that you are his children. And yet I know that you're not sinless. And I know that I'm not. Did his children do enough of what he gave them so as to qualify for salvation? I don't think that's it. I don't think that at the end of time, that's going to be the big question. Do they qualify? Did they do enough? I don't think that's going to be his concern. Did he or she have beautiful hair and lots of it? I'm thinking that's not his biggest concern. No, that's, that is not a hope. That is a confident assertion, John. I am confident that this is not God's biggest concern. Well, it's important uh, that we get these questions right, at least the top three. And understand that these are not God's biggest concerns. But there are some other questions that kind of loom this morning for us in light of the text that we're going to read. And it's important for us to see the separation between these kinds of questions and the kind of questions that I think our text asks. Because there are some important questions that our passage is going to get to. Chapter 16 in the book of Matthew, and I want you to look with me at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Now, I won't say much about this, but it's interesting. You know, this passage is often used by people and it's discussed a lot about whether or not Jesus is saying that Peter is the rock on which the church is built or whether or not it's the confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, if that's the rock on which the church is going to be built. I do have an opinion about that. I actually think that it's the confession on which the church is going to be built rather than Peter himself. And I think it's interesting that right after this, Jesus rebukes Peter specifically and calls him Satan. And the question has to be raised, I think, that if he's building the church on Peter, why is it that immediately after that, Jesus feels the freedom to say to Peter, you're Satan in the way that you're treating me. Clearly, this person is not infallible. And so it's pretty hard, I think, to make an argument about the whole papacy thing that comes out of this passage. But that's not the point. That's not what this passage is about. And what I want to do this morning is to raise three questions that I think come specifically out of this passage and the one that we're going to read in just a moment. The first question is this, and it's a huge one. Whom do you say that I am? 
And that's a question for all of us. Who is it that Jesus is for us? And the reason this is so crucial is because it absolutely changes everything. There is nothing that remains the same after you ask and answer the question, who is Jesus to you? And after you ask that, self-reflection is going to take place. You can't help it. You can't say, who is Jesus? What does he mean? And then just sit there like, it doesn't matter. Because Peter's confession is, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And if he is the Christ, the son of the living God, does that not change everything? Responsibilities, for example, come for those who make that kind of claim. You can't live exactly the same way that you lived before. You have some responsibilities that now come upon you. You live in light of who Jesus is. There is a gathered people. He talks here about the church. And this gathered people that comes together in his name because of the claim that Jesus is the Christ. The kingdom of heaven is related to this claim. And the Jews who were there would have realized when he starts talking about this gathered people. That Jesus in gathering together is changing everything about what the people of God is supposed to be. And therefore about what the kingdom of God is. And so our answers and our response to this question, this great life question of who Jesus is, can't help but change us if we reflect it all upon it. And I just want to say, for those of you, if there's anybody here who doesn't have the relationship with Jesus Christ that God longs for you to have, if you haven't given yourself completely to him, then this morning, I want you to internalize this question. And ask for yourself this point, who is Jesus? And what does that mean for me? Who is Jesus and what does that mean for me? Because nothing is the same if he's the Lord, if he's the Christ. The next question is this one. What will his messianic role be like? And I think this was just totally shocking. In fact, I know it's shocking because of Peter's response. Peter, can you imagine, takes Jesus Christ, takes the Messiah aside to set him straight. Now, I've got to tell you that there are people in this church who I personally don't like taking aside to set them straight. I feel uncomfortable with some of you that I know are wise in the Lord and who love Jesus so much. And if I saw some sin in your life, if I looked at Richie Reed and I saw that Richie was just sinning and I needed to go to rebuke him and talk to him about that, I would. But I wouldn't do it easily. It's not like I would say, oh, Richie, well, he's nothing to me. I can just go talk to him and tell him that he needs to straighten his act up. It wouldn't be that way. Instead, I would be thinking, here is a brother whom I respect. And whom I love. And who has a history with this church. Who's been a Christian at least as long as I have. How can I possibly go to him and say to Richie, you need to get your life in order. I would hesitate about that. But Peter takes Jesus Christ aside in order to set him straight. What's Jesus' response to that? Well, he does call him Satan. Because he realizes that somebody is standing in his way. But the thing that Jesus does that's more telling is that he says, you need to understand, Peter. And he goes on to tell the disciples, 
You need to understand what it's going to be like for me as Messiah. As Messiah, I'm going to be killed. As Messiah, I'm going to suffer. As Messiah, the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and those who claim to be God's people are going to come after me and they're going to kill me. They're going to arrest me. I'm going to be mistreated. And then he says, I'm going to rise again. So in one sense, it's not surprising that Peter would respond the way that he does. But in another, there's a sense in which Peter needs to listen. There's a sense in which he needs to, instead of saying, no, 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 Jesus, he needs to say, I don't like this. But if that's what you as Messiah are calling us to, then that's what we will do. There are other places in Scripture where Peter sometimes opens his big mouth. You know those times. I can walk on water. Lord, I'm not, you're not going to wash my feet. And he ends up retracting some things. Wash my whole body, he says, after Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you can't be clean. And so Peter has to backtrack. He has to end up listening to Jesus and doing what Jesus asks, taking seriously the claims that Jesus makes. And in this case, too, he has to do that because Jesus is saying, I'm going to suffer. And Peter's going to have to think about what that means. I was thinking about this in relationship to the things that we have experienced lately as a church. And for us to hear about Joey's diagnosis runs right in stream with these things that I'm thinking of. It is so human for us. It is so common for us to hear what God might have in plan in mind for someone who is suffering. Like when I hear about a little baby, when I hear about a child who's sick, Just like you, I say, no, no, no. Just like Peter, I kind of want to say, God, what are you doing? And I have to admit that when Joanne called yesterday, or when I called her back yesterday afternoon, and she told me about Joey's diagnosis, this, this really doesn't happen to me that often that I say, God, what are you doing? Because I've seen this so many times and experienced so many times where people have grieved and there's so much pain that we constantly hear about and experience. So it, that's not all that surprising to me. But when I talk to her and here's a grandmother who's now hurting, not just for her own daughter, but now for her grandson as well. And she says, this isn't fair. Then there's a part of me who just for a moment, I'm saying to God, God, this is not fair. She's right. This is not fair. What are you doing? And if I was Joanne, I'd be saying that. God, what are you thinking? And then I think to myself that God is thinking about Joey and that he loves him and that be, just because there are bad diagnoses does not mean that God doesn't love and doesn't care and isn't concerned 
And I know that because his son had to suffer and die. And when Peter said, no, 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 Jesus, you are not going to do this. There's a conflict there between the human will and God saying, I'm going to do something. And God doesn't say this easily. He doesn't say to his own son, I don't care about you. Go ahead and go to the cross. It doesn't matter that they scourge you. It doesn't matter that you feel the weight of the sin on you. It doesn't matter that at the end you're going to say, why God have you forsaken me? God isn't feeling like he doesn't care about that. Instead, God experiences what we experience. And you can imagine that when Peter says, no, don't let this happen, not you, that Jesus and his father are both saying, oh, how we wish it could be different. Not for a moment does God say, let him be crucified, it's not that big a deal. But there's instead, I'm sure, pain, anguish, suffering, grief, separation. The experience of pain is experienced by God. And when we go through those difficult times, God feels them because he has experienced it. For himself. And so I hurt this morning for Joey and for Christian and Joe. I hurt for Andrew and Aaron. I, I don't know if that diagnosis is definitive yet. I'm not sure what exactly has happened there. I haven't heard in the last few days what's happening with Joanna. I hurt for Keith and Penny. I hurt for Ryan and Carrie and all those others, some of whom Ethan's back here with a broken leg have experienced such pain in the last little while, sometimes it seems like God isn't concerned that he doesn't care that much because suffering just goes on. But the role of Jesus, that he would have to suffer many things at the hands of, of men <laughs> whom he could destroy like that and be killed and then arise from the dead in the fulfillment of God's plan lets me know that God is not separated from our realities that he's not separated from our pain and that he has experienced what it is like to lose a child, that he has been in anguish. And so I put myself this morning and I put Joey this morning into the hands of the one who's experienced incredible anguish. And then... Then there's this beautiful, beautiful thing that happens. Because Jesus does say at the end, and I will rise again. And the fact that he says, I will rise again, tells me that in addition to the suffering and the pain that he endures, that he willingly endures on your behalf and mine, that the suffering that he endures is not the final word. That is not the final word. I don't know what will happen long term with Joey. I don't. 
His diagnosis, even though the definitive diagnosis is there, it doesn't mean that we know exactly what's going to happen as his life progresses. There could be great suffering in store for this little boy. That's a possibility. Maybe not. Maybe his life will end prematurely. Maybe not. We don't know. But we know this. We know that the one who suffered and who experienced the kind of anguish that Jesus experienced says that the end for him is not the grave. That suffering isn't the final answer. That instead, he says, I will rise again. And he is Lord over pain. And he is Lord over suffering. And when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said something significant and powerful that gives me hope. And so I grieve today for a lot of people. And certainly for Larry and Joanne. But there is a sense in which I also hope and give glory to God for what it is that he has done in Jesus. Third question quickly, in light of who Christ is, of the kind of suffering Messiah is, will you deny yourself and follow after him? That's the question that Jesus goes on to ask the disciples. He tells them that in light of who he is, in light of what he's going to do, that they need to deny themselves and give themselves completely to him. And my question this morning is, is that not what we should do in light of who Jesus is? If Jesus has suffered the way that he has suffered, if he takes on himself the pain and the sin of the world, if he is the son of the living God, does he not call out of us this kind of commitment for us to say there isn't anything that I won't give to you, Lord? There isn't anything that I won't do for you? There isn't anything that I'll hold back? Like, what is it that you would hold back from Jesus in light of what he has done for us? In light of what he's experienced? In light of who he is? What is it that in your life you won't give him? That you'll hold back for yourself? Or will you simply choose to say, Lord... It's all yours. I surrender it all. I give it all to you. And so the question becomes, if Jesus is the Christ, the suffering son of the living God, who suffered for us because he loves us, does that not change everything? And I think it does. Can we respond to him as people who recognize that everything has changed because of the Messiah, the Son, the living God? Let's pray. Lord, we thank and praise you today for 
what it is that you've done, for what it is that you will do, but more than anything for who you are. We praise you this morning as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen.